The Enterprise has written about Corinna Gudas since her youth in Altamont, when she was a teenager with a clear sense of right and wrong, fighting for animal rights, um, using her artwork to send a message about commercialism, and we're catching up with her today in Germany where she lives and is an internationally recognized designer of jewelry. Hello, Corinna. We did it. Hey, <laughs> you get good. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm okay. I spent um, quite a bit of time going through years of Altamont Enterprise articles and just finding out all kinds of fascinating things about your past. And I'm hoping you can kind of walk us through because our listeners are familiar with you from Altamont, but how you came to the place where you are today, um, you know, internationally recognized for your jewelry designs. Um, one of the things that I found that I had forgotten was um, an exhibit you did as a high school student at the Moon and River Cafe in Schenectady. And um, you were looking at advertising in the United States and displaying it as religious icons. You had Mary, instead of holding Jesus, she was holding the Gerber baby. And you had this shrine to Uncle Ben. And you told me at the time, um, Roman Catholics in Mexico make Day of the Dead shrines to remember family members. And some of the objects you had in Uncle Ben's shrine included slave memorabilia, which really is a very chilling idea. Um, so just if you could start kind of back at the beginning, what, how, how is it you became an artist? What is it that, that pulled you into art? Well, I think I had the luxury of a beautiful childhood in Altamont, that's for sure. I had a lot of freedom. My parents let me play in the creek. There was a bit of the Bozenkill Creek that ran through our backyard. As long as I wanted, I just had to come home for dinner. And so I think this time alone and this trust in me gave me so much time to just explore my fantasy and and to create my own universes, stuff like this. So I had this huge sense of wonder. I had a huge connection to nature and um, really loved crayfish, finding that perfect rock, whatever. And at the same time, I had this really strong gut for what was right and wrong. And when I found bags of trash in the creek, this made me super upset. And I would photograph it as an eight-year-old and say, I want to go to the town board meeting, Dad, and talk about this. And so I guess I just always followed this gut feeling really hard. And that's why maybe some people in Altamont know me for my activism as a kid. I guess I always had some political nature in me, but I wasn't meant to be a politician. So I'm more focused on what made me happy. And um, But it was important to have this kind of yin and yang and keep both in there. I think this kind of um, critical eye towards like the system towards capitalism and and this advertising industry came a lot from my immigrant grandparents, probably my my Dutch grandmother on my mother's side was, um, she immigrated in the 50s 
to the States and she could do everything herself. She was completely DIY. She taught me how to sew before I was six years old. I was mending my clothing and, and we would get toy catalogs sent to her just for inspiration. And we would pick through it and say, okay, I want that Barbie. And she was like, yeah, but you have a Barbie. So what do you want? The dress really? And I was like, yeah. Well, then let's make it. And we'd take my favorite dress and cut off 10 centimeters at the bottom and make a dress for my Barbie that matched it. And this just like blew my mind. But <sighs> I realized that just having money to go into a store and buy something was not as valuable as having the skills. So kind of made me question the entire system. So right from the root, you had the sense of the importance of making things with your own hands and also this idea capitalism had problems <laughs> or that it wasn't something that attracted you. You learned, that's great, make your Barbies clothes instead of buying them. Um, but I, I too, we did cover a lot of your activism. You and Elijah Sharma had founded the Animal Rights Group, and you single-handedly led this protest against dissection in you know, high school biology class, and you actually got results in in both cases. I mean, your animal rights group got them to serve veggie burgers in the cafeteria, and you got it so high school kids that felt like you did about cutting apart animals could learn through a different sort of online function. So, um, I mean, your activism really made changes. Um, Did that play into what you then were doing with your art, the sense that, you know, you could make a difference as an individual? Yeah, for sure. This gave me huge confidence that I um, wasn't the only one with these feelings and that just voicing them would, would gain support quickly. And so, yeah, Elijah was a really powerful voice in, uh, force in my life who was able to reach people just through his words and through his you know, actions of beings, and I guess I was like a little more reserved in that. So together we stood strong, but um, I my method for reaching people was always different and more visual, and so um, that's why I pursued a career in the arts, but this activism element was always strong. It had to be included. So uh, you went to the Savannah College of Art and Design, and is that's where you first started focusing on jewelry, and how is it that you came to make jewelry your medium out of, you know, the various things you had done through high school and art, you know, that were more about painting and other forms. Right, yeah. For some, it might seem kind of oddly specific, jewelry, especially as a kind of activism um, form, but this kind of was an organic process. Like, as a child, I was mostly into sculpture and just loved clay and stuff like this. And then as I explored the foundation of art. I loved painting more than anything. And then I found it to be less dynamic. So even in the end of high school, where I had done many, many paintings, like this exhibition you mentioned, um, I wanted some kind of different action, some kind of physical action, a little bit more to use my body and to have different moods. Painting became very mechanical. And so, um, and I just saw these paintings stacking up in my parents' house and maybe to never see daylight again. And I wondered how many more I could produce. I mean, where should they go? And so I started thinking even at age like 14 about jewelry and about like an art form that goes on your body that you 
you build memories with, that you experience the best days of your life with, and they gain significance every year with every scratch, and you give them to family members. And it's just a very intimate uh, form of art that uh, painting can't have when it's very off limits. And again, this kind of inner child thing, just want to touch everything. So mm -hmm. painting on the wall is holding me back. And so, um, yeah, I did my first jewelry at 14, and I also started working with um, trash <laughs> right off the bat. I was working with aluminum cans and interesting designs I found from the Asian market and cutting them up and folding them and making kind of origami out of the sheet metal from soda cans. I sold these at the Altamont Elementary School craft fair. That was my first <laughs> my first selling opportunity. And then, yeah, I continued to develop that alongside my paintings. And then um, I decided that I wanted to study this. There's kind of limited programs for jewelry. And so I chose the biggest and the best one in the country, the Savannah College of Art and Design. We have the largest degree granting program for jewelry in the moment. And um, I was lucky enough to get accepted, and then I explored their jewelry and parallel to painting in the beginning. I then focused primarily on jewelry and um, got this incredible background from traditional handcrafts of goldsmithing, foundation, painting, figure drawing, which I also found very beneficial as when I'm designing work for the body, you should understand how it moves and, and the proportions of it. Also industrial design, kind of foundation and so practicality for the user and just conceptual thinking. Why you choose this material, why you choose this scale, why is it on the body at all? So really putting everything in question. And I don't know if I mentioned for our listeners that I'm talking to you in Germany. What drew you to Germany? How, how did you get there and why? So, um, maybe also a small influence of my immigrant grandparents, you know, this kind of idea of the motherland and this other other kind of society that functions differently. I had been several times to Holland as a kid and said immediately as a six-year-old that I would move there someday. And I just saw this different pace of life and different priorities and things seemed to be slower and more genuine. And I don't know, it was... That was one small thing in the back of my head. And then in my um, years at SCAD, the program, the jewelry program was also very focused on um, on Europe because the craft scene is a little bit more developed there and more active. And unfortunately, compared to the States, more people support these old handwork and crafts that they want to see a new generation using it in their own voice. And they like to repair and, you know, buy quality and unfortunately not always the case in the States. And so, yeah, there was a big focus on Germany, on Munich Jewelry Week. It's the biggest um, jewelry week in the world, existing since the 70s. And, um, and a lot of my favorite artists were from Holland, Germany, Scandinavia, Belgium. And I just thought that I would have a boost to my career, have more potential to make it happen out the gate if I immersed myself in this scene and got to know it better. 
And it has worked wonderfully. Um, I have this whole long list of awards that you've gotten, and I can add some from the very bottom because I looked up at school board meetings where they would announce that <clears throat> as a high school student, you had gotten um, you know, a prestigious juror award from the regional juried art exposition in high school. But of these awards, I guess the crowning glory is the, the finalist for the Art Jewelry Forum Um and if you could just tell me, what, what does it mean for an artist to win awards? Why is that important? Um, how, how does that affect you and, and your work? Oh, yeah. It does really have a huge effect, especially, as you mentioned, the Arts Jewelry Forum one is one I applied for for many years. That was one of the few that I was like, really, really determined. It was a big goal of mine. Um, and still, I... You know, I guess after years of applying and years of rejection, you don't really consider much like this is going to be the time where you lose your confidence a little bit. And at that point, I had been in Germany for about three years, four years, and um, I'd been making rigorously, and I just didn't really know. I believed in my work, and I got good feedback from people around me, but I didn't really think I was reaching anyone. So really, <laughs> I felt pretty isolated. I was like, you know, when I compare myself to the higher-ups, like, I think it's comparable, but I had no feedback, and I didn't know that. When I got that prize, final, uh, the finalist, they called me in the night, and I was just so shocked. I was so amazed. <sighs> and just occurred to me overnight that, yeah, the people were watching, people were following my career, and that I had really impacted them. And um, that feedback just kept pouring in after that prize. So many people writing me, like they've been cheering for me and I have to win this and I know I will. And it was just unbelievable. Suddenly a lot of collaborations began. And so, yeah, it definitely does something for your confidence, a big boost to understand where you, you need to know like where you are in the market, where you, where you fall. And that gives you the courage to, write other people that you maybe wouldn't have, write galleries and stuff like this. You have some kind of basic understanding of where you range, you know? Mm -hmm. so that really, it really changed a lot for me, yeah. Well, that collection um, called Foul Play, could you just tell us about that? It, I've read, of course, there were reviews written about, you know, how you find garbage on the streets of Berlin and transform it into jewelry. Um, just tell us a little about that process and how you developed that whole, that whole collection. Yeah, I was looking for some kind of authentic snapshot of life nowadays. I was frustrated by social media, by filters, and by this kind of curated image of self. And I was experiencing, really for the first time, living in a city Although I always dreamed of living in New York City, I never did. And um, and so Berlin was my first time being really immersed in the city. And I just, you see a lot of, yeah, authenticity and, and fakeness, a lot of facades and how people carry themselves through life is often very pre-planned. And, and so I just looked for, yeah, this kind of true snapshot of the city. And I found it in, in waste. Mostly, I found these kind of remnants of the night before, like Berlin Ferry, famous for its party scene and stuff. And Sundays, everything is closed. And this became a big inspiration for me to walk around Sunday mornings and see all this remnants of, of like exuberation, of fun that was had the night before, of this free, 
free feeling youth and artists and ravers and on the other side, really strong Islamic community there. And just this crazy polarizing groups that coexist so beautifully in Berlin. And I found this kind of vibrant energy in the in the trash that I would find there, this kind of matter. And I did a lot of photography of them, saw where this mass-produced object from some factory in Asia is now, like, growing in a vine in Berlin. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like this kind of crazy mashup that is globalization, that is, like, the sign of our times. And that's where, yeah, I found this kind of authenticity. And so um, this became my kind of activism as well. So my first reaction is beauty, technically, what I see in these pieces, what attracts me to it. But at the same time, it is kind of surreal and um, a little bit disturbing to some just kind of see how nature is evolving with what we've given it. And so this game just went on to be kind of inspiration for mutations. I was looking at Chernobyl and what kind of natural with mushrooms and frogs and stuff have like adapted to eating plastic waste, eating toxic objects. And it's this kind of crazy blurry line between nature and industry. That's what really sparks my, my creativity at the moment. So you're back to the Bosenkill where you find the beauty in the trash. That's wonderful. But tell us like how, if you could walk us through the creation of one piece in that collection. I mean, you've walked the streets of Berlin, you've seen this mash, as you call it, and you've taken photographs. And how does a piece of jewelry emerge from that? Like what process do you go through in your studio? And are you using, they look like actual pieces of trash, like a a pop top in a can, are they? Or do you recreate those? It's a mixture of both. Um, I mean, I do collect a lot of objects. I always have a little bag in my purse for grabbing things. But um, a lot of, um, yeah, well, the aluminum ones I'll discuss, those are interesting. Uh, I developed them for almost two years, this kind of process um, of remelting down aluminum. So I was working with ear cans, but also car parts like car rims and old luxury products native aluminum. So I built my own foundry and just thought about kind of breaking the rules that I had learned at, at SCAD, the really proper casting techniques. And I thought, you know what, like thousands of thousands of years, people have been casting with much less equipment and tools than that. Like there must be a more rudimentary way that I could explore this. And so, um, so we started just melting down these things in a foundry that I had built on grill coals. <laughs> and, um, pouring them just wildly, just like instead of using a a mold or anything like that, just pouring liquid aluminum into different vessels, into sand, into on the grass and playing with it as it cooled and just learning the material. So it took me some time to have any results and none of the results that I liked were what I planned. It was completely spontaneous and very freeing process to kind of have to react in the moment and make a hundred pieces and maybe keep one and just keep melting, keep melting. So very, very liberating. And so at the end, the most beautiful results I had were using the beer can as a vessel and pouring liquid aluminum in it, that it kind of um, had a surreal effect that it decayed or morphed the existing shape of the actual can. So the can's still in there, 
and many, many other kids. <laughs> this is so amazing to hear. Um, I had envisioned you sort of sketching something out and then following a plan. So it's really the process you described just completely spontaneous and, as you say, liberating. And then when you are, have your finished piece of jewelry, what, like, what do you envision for it? Do you think of who's wearing it? Who wears this jewelry? Or is it more like a statement that would be displayed in a museum um, for someone to think about the kinds of concepts that you've just been telling us? Yeah, museums certainly always a goal. It's wonderful gotten accepted to a couple of permanent collections, um, not yet placed in museums, but hopefully in the future. Um, I don't envision like a customer. I definitely don't envision a gender or anything. I mean, I love to see the pieces in the gallery, but being tried on as often as possible. Each new person has their own, also this vibrancy that brings totally new meaning to the work. And I want to keep that open for my customer to discover it for themselves. Um, they are collectors, so um, I do these various jewelry weeks throughout Europe, and then there's collectors there who I know their faces and will get to know more over the years when they come by and they have a private meeting and they try on everything and, and just react with their gut and maybe take something. People wear them in their everyday lives. Some save them for really special moments. And um, otherwise, yeah, I mean, the sales are slow. I can't lie about that. But it's my passion, and I find um, other sources through this. You know, I can teach workshops. And so for me, it's not about, I don't want to limit the idea at all in order to get it on a person or sell more pieces so I just want to focus on making my art and people react to that and the ones that get worn get worn and that's exciting yeah so where are you going from here what are you working on now so at the moment I've just returned from Portugal and I have an exhibition on in Porto at the moment and also one in Barcelona there's a jewelry week at um this weekend, uh, Hoya Barcelona. And um, then my pieces will go to Milan Jewelry Week, end of October. And after that, they come to my state, New York. There's a second annual New York City Jewelry Week. And um, SCAD, the Savannah College of Art and Design, is organizing for the first time an alumni show there. And they're going to bring my work and represent other jewelry alumni from the SCAD program. So I'm very excited about all these opportunities. Oh, my gosh. So you just have world reach. And this jewelry is universal. It, it speaks to all different cultures because we're all kind of caught up in the same dilemma that you have described um, in our modern, modern era. I just don't know if you have any closing thoughts. Our time has gone so fast, but I've loved talking to you. Do you have anything you want to leave our listeners, your your local hometown people with? Any thoughts that you have? Hmm, um, maybe some tips for young designers or artists. Okay. And if you, yeah, if you feel that you come from a really small town or uh, maybe have a kind of silly ambition. I mean, I'm so thankful for my parents to 
never shake off. I mean, no one even mentioned once in my life if I should really consider a career in art because I might not earn any money. <laughs> like those, that statement was never uttered to me in my life. So I think it's just really important to let your kids dream so big and to be their safety net a little bit. Not everybody can do that, but just allow this fuel to burn and they will make it, they'll make a way to live from it. Well, that yeah. is good advice for every human being, not just the artist. That's mm -hmm. wonderful. Well, thank you so much.